Alright. So I, Tim and I just got back from a week in Indiana with our churches and, and folks from all over the country. Uh, it's just a reminder every year for, at our national conference that we're part of a bigger family. And uh, what's been known as the Fellowship of Grace Brethren Churches for a number of years, uh, now kind of rebranded with the name Karis Fellowship. The word Karis, of course, is the Greek word for grace. And what a joy it was just to spend time together with, uh, with friends and people, literally from all around the country. I spent time with uh, some of our chaplains. I spent time with some of our missionaries. I spent a lot of time with our friends at Assist that are helping us search for a new pastor. And I'll probably tell you a little bit more about that journey next week. But uh, just, a, just a phenomenal, phenomenal time. Uh, Tim's probably been operating on a month of, of average of four hours of sleep a night, so he seems a little more... Uh, you know, off kilter this morning than his normal off kilter. You'll understand that, all of that. But uh, yeah, just a, just a wonderful, wonderful time celebrating God's grace and God's work in our churches all around the country and literally around the world. But when I'm back at National Conference, they give me like zero free time and four hours of sleep a night. Like I said, it's just kind of a go 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 time. And so as I was planning ahead and thinking about being gone for this week, I began thinking about who I'd like to invite to come and uh, speak for us this morning. And uh, one of the guys that's been on top of my list for many, many months looking for an opportunity for me to need help is uh, Timothy Kurtanik. You all know TK. Uh, Tim grew up here. Where'd he go? He was back. Oh, now he's down here. Quick, man. You're just on the move. I looked up here and you were back there with the cattle Bobby and now you're up here in front with me. So that's all good. So uh, everyone knows TK. He grew up here. His dad was pastor here, Dr. Nicholas Kurtanik, for like 17 years, I think. And so uh, most of you know Tim and uh, rejoice in God's work in his life. He's been a part of our ministry, known as CE National, for 23, 4, 5, 4, 5. I, don't, I lost track. I just know it goes back uh, quite a ways, back into the early 90s, I think, somewhere in there. And uh, he's been responsible for planning the operation teams, a big part of our youth conference called Momentum, and lots of other stuff that I don't know about, but he does. Anyway, uh, TK and I have been good friends for longer than that, I think. And uh, I call him TK, Timothy, but we have this special thing. We call each other Ruby. We got to room together at one of our pastor's focus retreats many years ago. And so I want to introduce you this morning, my good friend, my Ruby, uh, TK. Welcome to Leah. Thank you, Remy. Appreciate that. Uh, it's good to be here for Dan and me to be here. Uh, pleasure to be back. Uh, yeah, this was my home church for 19 years, uh, most of the 70s and the 80s. And uh, what this does in coming back is it affords me an opportunity uh, to look back and to remember. So if you would permit me a few moments to just kind of go. I, I actually came up with ten things that popped into my mind. This is not Letterman, this is not a countdown, anything like that. But these are ten memories that I have. And, and it all kind of starts with the idea that this church has always valued children and youth. This church has always valued the next generation. And uh, so in my youth and growing up here, some of my memories. I remember being in the church choir starting at age 14. Somebody made a rule that you couldn't be in the choir if you were 13 years old. At 14, I joined. And I was in the choir. I remember when I turned 29, I was more years in the church choir than more years of my life not in it. 
15 years, of, I, I remember cantatas, I remember Wednesday night practices, singing on Sunday mornings. We used to wear like these blue robes that most of them had stains from coffee on them because you knew what the people in choir were doing right before they came up and sang. But I was always in the second row, there was like a modesty rail, front row ladies, second row there, I was kind of over this way. Well, I wasn't large enough to kind of see very well. So there was, some of the old timers I remember, there was a water fountain back there that there was a small wooden box, probably made by New Summons, if you remember that name. And somebody grabbed that and put it in the choir loft. So every Sunday, I would stand on a six-inch little wooden box for years. And I thought I was getting away with stuff. People were going, oh, he's growing. No. But, but then I found out what was happening because my good friend Dan, Dan Leadham, he was on this side. And when we would then exit, I, I would even do this. I'd be on the box. And when we walked down, I would walk on my tiptoes so it didn't immediately drop six inches. But what I didn't know was that every time Dan would walk by, he would step on the box and pop up six inches and fall down. So I, just good memories for me, good memories. Opportunities to read scripture and to pray even as an 18-year-old high school student. I remember we were doing vacation Bible school. And uh, they said, we need somebody to teach first grade. And I looked at Dennis Henry, and I said, you want to do it? We were high school students at the time. And somebody allowed us to say yes. Now, we weren't completely stupid with 35 high school, uh, first graders. We did ask Mrs. Adams, Beth Adams, if she would do arts and crafts for us. So that was my first introduction to teaching. Dennis has been teaching now 30-something years. I've been involved in ministry 36. It was because we got started now that somebody here said, yes, we'll give them a chance. The thing that I remember most about that year... I'm sitting in the front row, and we've always had these curved steps. And I remember there was a little tiny top. We're doing the final program. I think it was like a Thursday night or something. And there was a little kid right about here. And they put something on the ground where they went to bend over to pick it up. And I'm from, and this kid did a complete flip and ends up on the rear end on the floor. The best part was watching Marie Kennedy in the front row completely lose it. I think she had to leave the room. She was laughing so hard. Best memory of vacation Bible school ever. Absolutely wonderful. It was 30 years ago this month that I actually preached on a Sunday morning for the very first time. Bob Devine was going back to adult conference. And he asked if I would preach. And I said, well, I can find somebody for you. He goes, no, no, I want you to do it. I'm like, oh, okay. And that was a good experience. And here we are 30 years later. It was here at this church, at this facility, that I proposed to Dana. It was on that sign, which I hear is changing. I hear it's changing. But it was November 22nd, 1989. You go, how do you remember that date? Uh, is because the next day was Dana's golden birthday, going to be 23 on the 23rd. On one side of the sign, it said, Happy Birthday, Dana. The other side of the sign, it said, Will you marry me April 7th? But Timothy, that was a big question on when we were going to get married, the whole thing. But it was students from our high school ministry here that actually put the sign up. They changed all the letters off on Thanksgiving weekend. And they chained up while we were in choir practice, then we went around and did all that. Uh, and the funny thing I remember about that, not just proposing and all that kind of stuff, uh, but I remember I had thought through all of it until, oh, she said yes. People came out from the choir. It was kind of fun. But then we're like, well, what do we do with the sign now? It's Thanksgiving weekend, and we want to get out of here. So we took the letters, and this is what we came up with. Thank the Lord. I mean, there's nothing scriptural, but those were the letters that we had. So we put it up there, and then we left and didn't come back until Sunday. It was great. Good night. Good night. I remember ushering at Carol Ann Perkins' wedding. Dennis and I were the ushers. We're the ones that pulled out the runner, that kind of thing. 
I would like to think it was because Caroline really liked us. But then I went back and realized Dennis and I had both been in Operation Barnsmith matching outfits. And I honestly wonder if that's not more the reason that she really liked us. Like, just think about those things. I remember at that wedding, we had known Caroline, our family, for a decade. And my dad was doing weddings so right here. And at the end, didn't know Scotty, but he is pronouncing them. He is announcing them to all the people assembled. I'd like to present to you Mr. and Mrs. Scotty. And he realized he didn't know his last name. So he leans forward and hear Mr. and Mrs. Scotty Perkins. Wow, I remember that very, very well. I remember church softball. I probably threw so many balls past first base. Don Lance, I'm surprised you never got really that mad at me for having to go get them off the fence line on first base. But good memories. People go, were you were you good? And I like to answer, the older I get, the better I was. So, really good now, right? Uh, I remember church work days. I remember painting here. I remember putting in the sprinklers in the back lawn. I remember taking pews out of here, tearing up the floor. And probably the greatest moment of my life here at Grace Bell Church in Norwalk. Upstairs in the fellowship hall, there used to be dividing walls that we'd have to manually put up and take down. Well, we gave those to a ministry that took them to Mexico, and they drove them off the property for the last time. I think it was the happiest day of my life. It was wonderful. I remember those kinds of days. I think about running day camps. I was involved helping lead them, and I ran them for a few years. And Stephen was one of our campers. Remember breaking your arm? Okay, we're not, we're not going to talk about any of that. But there's not been an earth ball on this campus since, okay? So I just want to make that known. I remember teaching junior high Sunday school for five years. absolutely loved that. And that propelled me into what I then did for ten years teaching at the high school level, being involved in the youth ministry. And it was on this campus that the call went out with an Operation Barnes team in 1979. It was on the back lawn. And Ed Lewis said, is there anybody here who believes God is calling them to full-time vocational ministry? And I responded. I can show you where that was, in the back corner. And... Uh, that, that's where it was. It was the place, and I always remember that for here. I share all this because this church has been family. Uh, you have loved me, warts and all. It wasn't about just sitting for an hour in a service and then leaving. It provided me relationship, fellowship. It provided me opportunities to be involved and in serving and with people. And for that, I will be eternally grateful. Uh, I think of all these things I just shared with you, and I'm sure we can come up with many more. Uh, but as I think about those things, I am absolutely filled with joy. But as I read, and as I study, and as I look at society, I, I don't see joy right now. I see people concerned about COVID. I see people concerned about finances, politics. People are discouraged. I see fear. I see anxiety. I see loneliness. I see depression. I see the absolute opposite of that. Even as we are the most socially connected that we have ever been in our society, ever. Uh, here's some stats from a study that I looked up and they're concerning. The study said that right now 15% of men have zero close friends. 10% of women, no close friends. By comparison, in 1990, 30 years ago or so, 3% of men said they had no close friends. That's grown five-fold. And 1% of women, that's grown tenfold in this day and age of social connection, and yet more lonely than we've ever been. Thinking of the other end of the scale, the study looked at that and said, what about friendships? And what about people who have ten or more close friends? 
1990, 40% of men said, I've got 10 or more close friends. Today, that number is 15%, from 40 to 15 for men. Ladies, in 1990, 28%, over one out of four, had 10 or more close friends. Now that number is 11%. So as I get to be here today, I'll get to be a one-shot wonder, right? One time to look at the scriptures. What is it that I want to share? I thought, you know what? Let's take a little bit of time to talk about hope, to talk about encouragement. The best example of being an encourager is actually found in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. Now, as soon as this section of scripture pops up, I know that Margaret and Max and Bob and Tim and Janine and Dan and myself, and there are others where your children have gone on Operation Mars. These are the theme verses for Operation Mars that I got to lead for 26 years for our fellowship of churches. And this church was incredibly instrumental in the involvement of Operation Barnabas even on the West Coast and beyond. And these same verses, every Operation Barnabas leader, every Operation Barnabas student knows these verses because they're talking about this man, Barnabas, who is known as the encourager. So would you do this with me? Would you stand and let's read together? Because you never say these verses when you're sitting down when you're operating for it. You've got to stand up. So if you would stand up and would you read with me Acts 11, 23 and 24. When Barnabas arrived and sought the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Acts 11, 23 and 24. You guys could be an OB team. Good job. You may be seated. Thank you. Acts 11, 23 and 24. He came. He saw God's grace. He encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with everything they got. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And faith. And because of him, a lot of people came to know Jesus. See, Barnabas was actually not even his name. This guy was so good at what he did, he was more known for his nickname than his real name. See, his real name was Joseph. But nobody ever called him Joseph. Nobody ever called him Joe. It was always Barney. It was not Barney. It was always Barnabas, right? Some of you are thinking of purple dinosaurs. Not true. For the last year, I have been working at Home Depot Anaheim. Donnie, Tracy, and Dana came and visited me. That was quite a day. They didn't believe that I was there working in the plumbing department, but I am. There is a guy, when I started working there, he's still there now. His name is Kenny. When I started there, there were some young guys in their 20s, funny, funny guys, good at work, good guys to be around. And I had not met Kenny, and they referred to Kenny as the goat. Kenny the goat. I'm like, what? Yeah, when you meet him, you will understand the greatest of all time. And I'm thinking, I'm looking forward to meeting Kenny. I think these guys are pretty good at their job. I'm looking forward to meeting Kenny. It didn't take me long to understand that his nickname was based more on irony than character. This guy, for a year now, if he ever wants to take a break, he climbs the orange ladder, he stands at the top, he looks at all the boxes, and then he stands there about like this. And that's what he does. He's not working. He's just taking a break. All right? The guy might be the worst worker I have ever been around. And the reality is he had a nickname that I thought, oh, this guy's going to be special. No, it was ironic. Well, what I find interesting is this man, Joseph, did not receive a nickname based on irony. He received his nickname based on character. 
Joseph was the son of encouragement. That's what the name Barnabas actually means, is son of encouragement. Every time we talk about this, Dan and I always look at each other and smile. Because when we were teaching high school study school, we still call them the new classrooms. You know, the four classrooms on the north end over there? We still refer to them as the new classrooms, right? So as we were in the new classrooms having study school, we were talking about this concept just happens when we were going through the book of Acts with the high school group. And we were talking about the name Barnabas that it means. And we said to the students, do you know what this means? Now, we had taught them a little bit of Hebrew, not a lot, but a little bit, that anytime you see the word bar in Hebrew, it means son of. So like a bar mitzvah is a son of the law. 13, boy becomes a man. Bat mitzvah, it would be a daughter of the law. Woman, or a girl becomes a woman. Jeff Clements remembered this. And so we said, what is the name Barnabas? And so flippantly, you're going to love this. So flippantly, so confidently, he says, what does Barnabas mean? It means son of Nabus. And we just laughed because he understood the concept, but it was so off. And we have howled and howled about that. It really does there was no Nabus in the Bible. Okay? <laughs> Jesus barred Jonas, you know, son of Jonas. Okay. No. Barnabas means son of encouragement. I guess you could say we should have been known as a high school ministry team for all those years as Operation Joseph. But no, it was Operation Barnabas, because he was better known for the name Barnabas, son of encouragement. Remember being at the Del Rio Housing Projects in South Central Los Angeles. And uh, probably the start of inner city ministry for Operation Barnabas back in like 1988. And then now we have Urban Hope Training Center continuing that on. But I remember talking to a guy, he left, he comes back, I think he was a little maybe inebriated, and he comes yelling and talks to this green face, Timothy! Timothy! I'm like, what the hell over here? And he goes, I have a question for you! I'm like, yeah? He goes, why would you name your team after the guy that let Jesus take his place on the cross? I'm, I'm sorry, my friend. We are not Operation Barabbas. <laughs> we are Operation Barnabas. Fully, fully different guy. So who was this guy, Joseph, nicknamed Barnabas? Our first introduction to him is actually in Acts chapter 4. If you take your Bible and turn to that, take your phone, take your tablet, turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 32 to 37 that gives us our first introduction to this man, Joseph. This man, Barnabas. Acts chapter 4, 32 to 37. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 4, starting verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which we know now means son of, excuse me, son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So we look at this introduction for the very first time to this man, Barnabas, this man, Joseph, we realize that he is Jewish, but he's not from that area. He's from an island in the Mediterranean called Cyprus. And he is there, and he is one of the believers. 
And he's one who sells what he has to give to the needy and the poor. It's interesting as you just continue, we sometimes end the story right there. As it continues on to Acts chapter 5, you see another example, another story that we're probably familiar with, of Ananias and Sapphira, who also sold things, brought it before the people's feet, the disciples' feet, and said, here it is. I said, this is all of it. You know the story. Yeah, this is all of it. Boom, dead. Next one. Is this all of it? Yeah, this is all of it. No, it's not. Boom, dead. This is, by contrast, the example of this man, Joseph, who gave freely, gave willfully, wanted to be... And here's the chief characteristic of this man, compared to Ananias and Sapphira. Chief characteristic, I think, from Acts chapter 4 is that Barnabas was generous. First thing that we note about being an encourager, it involves being generous. It involves money many times, but not always only that. It's about time. It's about talent. It's about treasure. And how are we investing that for the good of the Lord's work to be involved in the lives of other people? This illustration happens to be financial. I think about my own parents. Like after I was mentioning, my dad was here 17 years uh, as the associate. No, I guess he was the interim pastor. Is that a record, an interim pastor for 17 years? But I remember being age 10 and going up to San Francisco so my dad could go to a conference. And I remember that they, uh, the street sweepers in San Francisco, literally the street sweepers, were on strike. They were already making more money than my dad made being a professor at Biola University. I remember being struck by that. And while my parents were not rich, they certainly were blessed. I remember conversations in my parents' home. I remember at home hearing my mom and talk, dad talk about, where do you want the extra giving to go? And I'm going, extra giving to go? You don't even make enough money to be a street sweeper in San Francisco. It was well beyond the 10%. I remember one thing, I, as I was kind of thinking this week about this, this is a story I don't know if anybody's ever heard of. My parents would actually be embarrassed if they knew I was sharing it. I remember when the Navajo ministry in New Mexico, when the kids came, the little children came and they do their Sunday morning program, man, it was awesome. It was great seeing kids doing ministry. And that afternoon, there were no plans for lunch for them. They had no plans. They didn't have necessary money for it. And I remember my dad drove down to McDonald's and bought 50 hamburgers. And I worked for McDonald's later. That's, that's a lot of work. <laughs> and he bought 50 hamburgers and bought 50 fries and brought it back and just did. Maybe not a big deal, but to my family, that was pretty but that was just because, man, this is the Lord's work and we want to be a blessing. I saw the example of my parents being judged. I'm sure that you have examples you can think of, whether in your family or others. The thing is, I don't know if I am naturally generous. I have to work on that if I'm very, very candid with you. But I asked Tim Lansing if he'd come up here and read a story about somebody that, oh, I'm sure worked at it, but it also came naturally to him that this is a generous man. And this story is actually he's reading from what is in the Operation Barnabas syllabus that has been there for decades. And every opening night of Operation Barnabas orientation, this story is read because we never want anyone to forget the example of a man who was generous. It was the summer of 1979 that an OB team was traveling in California. And a person who had a very special heart in our ministry that summer was a man by the name of Roger Ward. He worked with the youth program at the Norwalk Grace Brethren Church. In fact, he purchased a former school bus that was used exclusively in their church for the various youth activities. Even though the bus was used, 
It had an, uh, an almost new engine and two propane fuel tanks, which allowed a person to travel for a long distance without having to refuel. Since our Barnabas team was coming out west, Roger volunteered to allow the team to use his bus at no cost for the entire summer tour. What a ministry. Well, one summer, uh, or one sunny afternoon in Northern California near the start of the OB tour, guess what? The bus completely died. Well, Selma, California was two and a half hours from the last church and six hours from the next. Well, praise the Lord for a town park and a little church which allowed the team the use of a fellowship hall for the night. But now what? Well, by early morning, Roger Ward, along with Mike Sedell, one of, the, uh, one of the employees and fellow church members of Norwalk GBC, were at the church fellowship hall. They had driven since 3 a.m., taken off work, and insisted on sending the team on its way in Roger's personal van. He insisted that we use his large van for the rest of the summer. It seemed that whenever we were at a church in California near Roger, the van would disappear for a few minutes, only to arrive back with the tanks full, loaded with fuel. Roger owned a propane company, so he was, uh, so he was sold on the value of propane fuel. But he also insisted that he pay for the bill whenever we were on the road and needed fuel. Well, at the end of the tour that year, the entire team was so thankful for Roger and his quiet ministry that we purchased a large cake and presented it to him at the end of one of our church programs. It would be shared by the congregation as well. When only part of the cake was eaten, Roger insisted on not taking any of the cake home, allowing the excess cake for the team members. He certainly had a ministry spirit. Well, Roger Ward has a special place in the memories of that Operation Barnabas team. But he, but he also has a special heart in our lives because it was a few months after that Operation Barnabas uh, tour that there was an accident at his place of business. Roger was burned quite badly. He was in the hospital only a few weeks before he went home to be with the Lord. Heaven is a much richer place because of Roger's heart for God. He was certainly humble and dedicated totally to being a servant and an encourager to us on Operation Barnabas. The reason I write about Roger is that I never want an Operation Barnabas team to forget the impact of Roger Ward and many other people like him who give financially and other time in order to sacrificially minister to teams such as Operation Barnabas. So may we always be thankful for the heritage we have through Operation Barnabas. That line always gets me. Heaven is a much richer place because Roger is there. For 40 years, Operation Barnabas students have heard that story because we never want them to forget. For the last 25 years, we've given away the Roger Ward Memorial Award to anyone who is really out Barnabas, the Barnabas team, for being that much more of an encouragement to us than we ever were to them. And it started with Roger, with his giving, with his generosity. And you know what? That continues. That has continued for decades. 40 years of that story being read. But Pat, how many cards have I ever gotten from you that have a $5 gift certificate to McDonald's? How many of those have you sent out through the years? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Modern day examples of people who are a Barnabas. People who are an encouragement. People who are generous with their time, with their talents, with their treasure. I think about another idea that tells us about the character of this man Joseph, Barnabas. Yes, he is generous, but it doesn't end there. That's the beginning. 
This man was also active in helping others. He was active in this pursuit rather than just passive. I want to look at a couple of uh, sections of scripture. Some you can follow on, others just going to reference. You can look at later if you like. But I find it interesting because in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, right before that you have the story of the conversion of Saul, who we now know as Paul, right? And that story is he became a Christ follower on the road to Damascus. But then you have the situation starting in verse 26 that describes this man Barnabas who is active in helping someone else. In verse 26 it says, When he came to Jerusalem, this is Paul, Saul, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Well, yeah, <laughs> here is a guy that has been known for killing Christians. And now the story is that this guy is now isn't seeking to destroy them. He's seeking to worship with them because now he is a follower of Jesus. And they're going, bet me. <laughs> but check out the next verse. Verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name, in the name of Jesus. Humanly speaking, do you have half of the New Testament without Barnabas? This man was massively influential. Introducing Saul Paul to the apostles. He's the one who took the initiative and made that happen. You go over to Acts chapter 11, and it continues on. Starting in verses 22 to 30, this is where I get this information from. Is that you have a real interesting situation going on. Acts 11, you have people who are followers of Jesus from Cyprus and Cyrene. And they are then leading people to Jesus in Antioch, in Syria. They're telling people who are not Jewish about Jesus. This is kind of a new thing. And they're like, what do we do about this? Well, these people preach about Jesus, and people in Antioch respond. In fact, it says in the scriptures, a great number of them came to the Lord. So the church in Jerusalem goes, what do we do about this? And they said, I know. Let's send the encourager. Let's send Barnabas. So Barnabas goes to Antioch, but first on the way, he goes to Tarsus, and he goes and he gets Paul. The same guy that he vouched for, he's going to go and work in Antioch, teaching and leading that church for a year, but he goes and he gets Paul first. They spend a year, and it's also at this place in Antioch where people, the disciples, the followers of Christ, are first called Christians. Now that term Christian is an interesting one because we tend to think, well, hey, that's a good thing. When they referred to Christians, that was actually a put down. It was a slam. Oh, those are those little Jesus, those little Christ followers. Anything but complimentary. Barnabas is the one who certainly shaped that ministry, but he was the one who taught and shaped the Apostle Paul. If you look in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, we're kind of taking a run through this. Interesting in Acts 13, 1-3, that they had just spent a year in Antioch. And it says, And in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, you know him, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene. How do I say that? Manan? Is that good? Okay, that works. He was actually, by the way, the foster brother of Herod. 
And there was, of course, Saul. And it was Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This is the first missionary trip. Who is it that's leading the first missionary trip? Note, by the way, the order in which it appears. Who were the two that they sent out? Barnabas. Oh, and then this other guy, Paul. It's interesting as you go on through the scriptures and tracks in the book of Acts, it is always Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas and Paul until you get Acts chapter 15 and suddenly it switches and mostly from that point forward it is then referred to as Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. What's my point in all of this? I believe that Barnabas was active in helping Paul grow and develop in his faith. So much so that he gave up top billing. He used to be Barnabas and Paul. Now it's Paul and, oh what's his name? Oh yeah, Barnabas. We do need to know that when we live this kind of lifestyle, helping other people, mentoring other people, discipling other people, that oftentimes they will surpass us. And isn't that a good thing? That's what Barnabas did, so much so that he did not get caught billing. You think about how that then worked. Paul took that example and applied it in his own life. Because who was it that Paul then mentored and disciples? A young man by the name of Timothy. It started with Barnabas. It then was bled into Paul. It went from Paul who bled into him. And what did Timothy do? He entrusted that also to faithful men. When we were back at our church in Warsaw, Indiana, uh, there was a need to teach junior high Sunday school. And I thought, hmm, I've done that a couple times, a little place called the Grace Brethren Church of the Norwood. But I thought, you know what? I've taught Sunday school enough. I kind of know how to do that. What can we do that we can mentor, disciple, and encourage somebody else? So we got some of our students that were former Operation Barnabas students with us in our ministry teams. And so we took Sarah Nepper and J.R. Gray. We took David and we took Stacy Buell. We took Erica Tiefel. And we said, we'll do this if we can work with them so that at the end of this year or two, they are the junior high teachers when we step out. That was one of the great joys because over the course of that year, I was teaching the very beginning. We would work together. This is how you teach. I can tell you that Sarah Nepper... Erica Teeple, I can tell you that Stacy, J.R. Gray, J.R. Gray is not a great teacher, but he runs Youth for Christ in the neighborhood back there, and doing an incredible job reaching kids for Jesus. Those other three I mentioned, incredible teachers. They have far surpassed the teacher. That gives me incredible, incredible joy. I didn't need to teach one more junior high science school lesson. I had to do that. But what fun it was to see other people learn how to do that and make a bigger difference than I ever could. Yes, Barnabas was this guy who was generous. He was also active in helping others. Wasn't passive, he was active. So he was an encourager by being generous and by being active. Well, then we continue on through this and looking at Acts chapter 12, when they went on this missionary trip, it says there in verse 25 that Barnabas and Paul took a helper along. And his name was John Mark. And John Mark went with him. In fact, it even says in uh, chapter 13, verse 5, that he was the helper. While Barnabas and while Paul were both teaching and preaching and declaring Jesus to people, that John Mark was there as the helper. And then you come to verse 13 of Acts chapter 13. And this is what it says. It says, as they were beginning to travel to Perga, and I quote, that is where John Mark left them to return to Jerusalem. That's all it says. doesn't say why. 
doesn't say the situation. Some have hypothesized that he was young, that he was homesick, that there was a... It just doesn't say that he was gone. He left. Well, it's interesting as we then get a little farther in the story, did this create any kind of difficulty or drama or do we find anything out? In Acts chapter 15, the very end of the chapter, it says there that sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of God and see how they are doing. Barnabas, let's get the band back together. Let's go back and see these people that came to Christ and all these places went on the missionary trip. And this is what Barnabas said. That Barnabas wanted to take then John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he deserved them. He didn't continue working with them. They had a sharp disagreement. And they parted the company. This was such a disagreement, they split. They said, nope, not going to go with each other. This is a major problem. Barnabas then took Mark and he sailed for Cyprus, by the way, where he was from, right? But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. We have a split in the ministry over such a solid disagreement. A strong disagreement where Paul is saying, don't want He bailed. No. And Barb's is saying, dude, the guy deserves another chance. Give him a chance. So much they split, took different partners and continued sharing Jesus. Well, that begs the question in my thinking. Does it beg the question in yours? Who was right? Who was right? Well, if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. By the way, the last book of the Bible that Paul wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 4, verse 11, this is what Paul writes. There are only 11 more verses, so he's done writing his part of the New Testament. These are the words that the Apostle Paul pens. Says only Luke is with me. So he's in prison, only Luke is there. He says, Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So at the end of Paul's life, Luke is there. He knows Timothy is coming and he says, And bring of all people, bring Mark. Can I suggest to you, Barnabas was the one who wrecked. See, Barnabas was the guy who felt for others. Barnabas was the guy who offered second chances. First Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. We read those at weddings and all, right? But love hopes for the best. Will you be hurt when you live that way? Uh, sure. Will you be wronged? Yes. That will happen. But an encourager gives second chances because an encourager is one who understands that we are people that must give grace. So as you go to that next slide, you see kind of the encapsulation of all three of these ideas. But not only is Barnabas a generous man, he is a man who is active with his faith, but he is also one who gives grace, who gives second chances, even when people don't deserve it. I think this phrase is accurate. Barnabas, this man Joseph, was actually the embodiment of encouragement. But then that begs the question of you and of me. What does that got to do with the way that we live? Well, I think it does mean that we are to be generous with our time, talent, treasures. I think it does mean we need to be active in the lives of others. I think that we need to be people who give grace, who give second chances, even when someone may not deserve it. But let's make this even a little bit more practical. How do we do that? Just thinking about this, uh, 
Some of them we use even on our tours for many times. The five love languages by Gary Chapman, Dr. Gary Chapman. There are five basic ways that people will show love, show encouragement, and also best receive it. Uh, if that is a new resource, it's worth looking at. But basically, when people want to show encouragement, want to show love, they do it in one of these five areas. Uh, most men, it is words of affirmation. That be something that's written or something that is said. Um, I think about that. And uh, after I've done all my sermon prep, I saw your post on uh, Facebook that yesterday you went to the uh, service for Khalida Hutton. Memory of her life. 50 plus years as choir director, teacher at Brethren Christian High School. And uh, I remember words of affirmation. The first thing that popped to my mind as I thought about that heard this. We took our Operation Barnabas team there to Los Altos Grace, where she went for many years, led the choir as well. And I remember I got to meet her for the very first time. And uh, she stuck around to, uh, to say hello after the service. There were still only a few people there. And she said, I wanted to tell you I really appreciated your choir this morning. And I started to chuckle because if you know anything about Operation Barnabas teams, there's crow, there's crow choirs, and there's canary choirs, right? Crow choirs means everybody sings. Canary choirs only certain people sing. We are definitely a crow choir, okay? We know that. Everybody sings. So I chuckled when she said, I really enjoyed the choir this morning. I said, oh, did you like at the end of every stanza where we would end the, the letter S and it would go, that's all choir? And she smiled and she chuckled. She goes, no. What I really appreciated is that I saw the students expressing the words and message of that song as they sang. And this is a lady that should mock everything we are doing up front as a choir. For every reason and being correct. And yet, because she was such an encouragement, her words of affirmation were, this is what, I, that sticks with me to this day. Well, it goes on from there, not just words of affirmation, which are great. Quality time, spending time with individuals. And again, everyone's going to have a greater emphasis on one area, but all of these are good. Quality time, spending time together. Mine would be words of affirmation. Dana's would be quality time. I think we've got to work on that through the years. Yeah, okay. How about acts of service? Doing something, a physical act of love for someone else. Another way of communicating love and encouragement. Receiving gifts. It's not necessarily monetary at all. It could be. But it's more the thoughtfulness. I was thinking about you and got you this. What a way to encourage. Even physical touch. I always chuckle when I think about this. This is not some weird, strange kind of idea of physical touch. It's appropriate. Shoulders touch. Physical. Sarah Nepper was one of our OB leaders. And uh, she had, because we go through this with our Operation Barnabas team leaders. And all of them on her team, under her care... Five other leaders, all of them are physical touch. I think number five out of the five for Sarah was physical touch. And they always wanted to touch her and hug her. And she's always like, just leave me alone! But the reality is that there is appropriate physical touch. That we, All of these are good things. And learning how to do each of these to love people and encouragement is a really, really good thing. I don't want to suggest that Barnabas was perfect. He certainly was not. But he was the son of encouragement. Out of those three areas of generosity, being active in other people's lives, and also the idea of giving grace and second chances, which one of those in your life is one that you need to work on? Is it the idea of generosity? Is it the idea of purposely being active in developing someone else? Maybe it's just in the idea of giving people second chances.
Maybe you're here today and say, brother, you got it all wrong. I came to church today because I needed encouragement. Don't tell me about how I can be an encouragement. I need to be encouraged. Let me just share with you this one verse that could turn all that on its head. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 25 says, He who refreshes others will be refreshed. You want to turn it on your head? You be generous. God will give that back to you full measure. Shake and go. You want to be refreshed? You want to be encouraged? Look to help someone else develop and grow. You want to be encouraged? You look how you can give someone else a second chance. Can I take it just one step farther? Being an encourager is about being kind. It's putting others before self. See, being kind is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. Niceness is not. I could have a whole soapbox that I get about how being nice is very different than being kind, but we won't go there. But sometimes being an encourager is telling someone something that's difficult because you love them so much. Be the encourager. Be kind. Not always necessarily having to just be nice. Can I take it one additional step? You're going, you're really pushing it, buddy. We got lunch plans. Who do you know that needs to know that Jesus loves them? That Jesus died on the cross for their sin? That he went to the grave and that he rose again? And he lives on the right hand of the Father? And that by putting my personal faith in him, repenting of my sin, giving my life to him, and saying, I follow you, Jesus, it's not my goodness, it's yours, they can have purpose and meaning now, and they can have a life everlasting God. Who needs to know that? For that is ultimately the greatest encouragement you could ever be to any person. Whether that's family, whether that's neighbors, whether that's friends, whether that's co-workers. Sometimes we think that sharing Jesus is all about what I have to say. Can I suggest to you that research now shows that most effective evangelism is about asking questions. Not any kind of soapbox of preaching at somebody and telling somebody, but a lot of give and take and asking questions and sharing life. But I'm a little bit scared of what if they ask a question and I don't know the answer. Can I can they tell you what to say? I don't know. I'll go look it up and get back to you. Or how about this? How many of us know John 3.16? How many of us say I know John? Can we quote it together? For God so loved the world that he gave his only God's That is the ultimate encouragement that is still in a nutshell. You don't really need to know a lot. just need to be a little bit verbal, a little bit vocal. Some of you are going, can I give you one more? just found this out in the last two weeks. There is now going to be another Harvest Crusade at Angel Stadium. It's going to be a one-night event, October 3rd. It's a Sunday night. It's going to be free for King and Country. is going to be there. Greg Laurie is going to be preaching the gospel. Good opportunity to say, hey, would you go with me? It's going to be great. Won't even see angels lose that day. <laughs> the ultimate encouragement is sharing the good news of Jesus. And we're not responsible for their decision. We are responsible to be the one who offers encouragement and hope. Acts chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. It says, When Barnabas arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad. And he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And because of this man named Joseph, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. 
Barnabas was a good man. He was an encourager. May the name be true of us. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for the opportunity to be together today. The times to sing praises to your name. To give financially of our means for the furtherance of the gospel, for the discipleship of the saints. Father, we're grateful for this man, Barnabas, who is an example of one who is an encourager. God, oh, what encouragement is needed in this day and age. Father, I pray that you would help us to consider how we need to make decisions as far as today about what it means to be a better encourager of those around us. Why don't you just take a second right now? Maybe you need to have a little chat with Jesus. Maybe you need to say, Lord, I want to... I want to be a better encourager. I, God, help me be more generous. Maybe you need to tell him that. Maybe you've been selfish in that way and you need to confess that. Do that now. Maybe you're here and you're going, you know what? I have not looked to invest in somebody else. I need to do that. Would you tell him that? Maybe you are not prone to give second chances. You hold on to the grudge. Maybe you need to confess that and make that right. Why are you telling him that? God, I pray that you would work in our lives, through our lives. God, we know this man Barnes is not perfect. God, we are not perfect. But Father, we want to be the best reflection of Jesus we can possibly be. Help us this week, God, to share the good news of salvation, of eternal life, of hope that's only found in Christ. God, we're grateful for this time. Thank you for the example of Barnabas. We look forward to meeting this man in heaven one day. But God, help us to be the encourager that you desire us to be. We pray these things. In the matchless name of Jesus.
good to be together again this morning, right? But always good. Thank you. Thank you, TK, for reminders. As you go into your work, Tim has challenged into your week, Tim has challenged us to be sons of encouragement, to be like Barnabas, to encourage others. There might be someone in, in your neighborhood who needs encouragement this week, someone at your workplace. There might be someone right here in this room before you leave this morning that could benefit from uh, a word of encouragement, a word of prayer. So take advantage of that as we leave this place and go out into a lost world that needs to know about Jesus. There might be somebody right here that could benefit from encouragement this morning. Have a great week and encourage others as you go.